It's all of us put together as the body of Christ to encourage each other in the world that we live in. I mean, we need encouragement daily. And the Bible says to do that. You know, as believers, one of the toughest things to do as a Christian is to forgive others. It's one of the toughest things to do is to forgive others when you've forgotten how much you've been forgiven. If you've, if you've forgotten how much you've been forgiven by God, it's going to be very hard as a believer to forgive others. See, God has given himself as an example to show us what true forgiveness looks like. In the series that we're in, The Adventures of God's Great Change, we're, we're talking about this great change and this being an adventure because God gives us the opportunities for great change like the potter is to the clay and he molds and shapes the clay to the image that he sees. It's not an easy thing. There is a process that takes place. There's some pushing, some, some cutting away and some chipping away of some of the clay that's there so that the end result would be the image that the potter sees. Well, that's the... That's the image that God gives to us in how he does that in our lives as we being the clay and him being the potter. And so when God brings a great change in us, it results from him giving himself as an example on how that takes place. And today we're going to see how God is such a forgiving God and gives us the opportunity to change. And so we're going to talk about forgiven and changed because all of us are forgiven, but it doesn't necessarily mean we are changed we have to choose that. Forgiveness can change us, but we have to choose to change. In your bulletin, there's a place for notes. You can take that sheet out and it'll help you to follow along. And some of you, maybe you don't write it down. Maybe you use your phone. Uh, I want to let you know that on our church app, if you've downloaded our app, there is a place for notes. You just go to Sunday and then go to the series where it says God's Great Change. And click that on, and then today's message will come up, and you just hit notes. And you can, uh, some of you already do this, you can type in, take notes. And there is also places where you can write other notes, not just the fill-ins. And then you can email it, you can share it with people, you can archive it. That's just a way for you to, if you're not a person who carries things around, but you carry your phone or a tablet, it helps you to keep it together all in one place And at the same time, it keeps it organized and you can read what you wrote. Because for some of us, like myself, when I write fast, I can't read my writing after I'm done. So I have to guess what's happening. But that's what uh, we want to make available to you. And I just want to remind you, for some of you, that you're already doing that. Uh, Someone came up to me and they said, you know, I'm just letting you know that I'm not texting people. I'm not on Facebook. I'm actually taking notes. So that's fine, and we know because we're upstairs with the binoculars making sure everybody's, you know, taking notes and things. But it's just a way for us to electronically uh, do that. And I'm joking about the binoculars. So if you're checking Facebook and things, we don't need binoculars. God sees. So I don't want to put guilt on you, but really I do. So the first thing we want to look at is, is a couple stories. There are three stories that we're going to look at. One is a story in the book of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, I'm going to read it to us. But Luke chapter 7, we're going to take a look at this woman who came to Jesus and brought an alabaster jar of perfume and anointed Jesus with it. We're going to look at another story that is called the unmerciful servant. That he, Jesus gives an, an illustration on what it's like to forget how much you've been forgiven 
And then we're going to take a look at another story called The Adulterous Woman. And we're going to see how Jesus uh, responds to a difficult situation. But the first one, Luke chapter 7, I'll read from verses 36 through 50. And I'm reading out of the New International Version. So Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It begins like this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So this Pharisee is a teacher of the religious law. So a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him. He said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. He said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the, toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and when I came into your house, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she, she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now the interesting thing about this story that Jesus brings is, Here's this woman who brought something to Jesus. She brought a worshipful spirit to Christ. And not only just a worshipful spirit, but she actually brought a jar of perfume. And when she anointed his feet and wiped his feet with her hair, that was an act of humility because the woman's hair is her glory. Which even, you guys are nodding right now saying, that's right, my hair is my glory. That's why I tell my husband it takes a lot to do this. So, that was what the woman was doing. She let down her hair and wiped Jesus with her feet. In other words, what she was saying is, you're more valuable than that which is, more valu- that, that which is valuable to me. You're more valuable. And so she does this, and, and Peter challenges Simon. He challenges him in such a way that he says, you know, you as a teacher of the religious law, the one who should know the ways of God, how could you not see this? That when I came into your house, the normal custom was for you to wash my feet, for you to greet me. You didn't even do that. But this woman went over and beyond with what was supposed to happen. And so he challenges Simon and he says, you know, Simon, you've forgotten how much you've been forgiven by God. You you only love little because you think you've only been forgiven little. 
Maybe it's the pride side of us that says, I didn't do as bad as her. In fact, that's what Simon was saying. I'm not as bad as her. So she should be doing this. But if Jesus knew what kind of person she was, he wouldn't let her touch him lest he become defiled himself. Lest he now be touched by this sinful woman is not able to stand before God. So Simon had the right things to say, but in the wrong context. What Jesus was offering to Simon was, we all have lived a sinful life and God knows it. So you can't hide that from God. And when this woman brings this to Christ, she is showing the heart of worship towards God. She even got persecuted for it, which tells us that we're going to be persecuted when we bring our life to God, when we worship God. People are going to say things about us, but that's okay. It comes with the territory. And when Jesus starts his story, he starts with people already in debt. He already begins with saying that this debt could not be paid. Even though there were different amounts, they both couldn't pay off their debts. It didn't matter if there were a lot or a little, they both couldn't pay off their debts. In other words, it doesn't matter if you sinned a little or sinned a lot, you cannot pay off your sin. You, you and I can't pay for our sins. We just can't do that. So the question is, then how does forgiveness change us? Because God offers forgiveness to all of us and wants us to think about forgiveness in these three ways. Here's the first thing. If you want to write down some notes, that I will love as much as I think I've been forgiven. I will love as much as I think I've been forgiven. If you think that well, my sin ain't that bad, not like so-and-so. I mean, we say that all the time. It's like, you know, yeah, I do this, but at least I'm not like so-and-so. At least I'm not as bad as that guy. Or, honey, at least I don't do this anymore. I don't, I don't do those things anymore. So my sin right now isn't that bad. And we say it in that kind of way, but really, if I've sinned a little or a lot, I still can't pay it off. But I will only love as much as I have been forgiven. If I think I've been forgiven much, I will love much. If I think I've only been forgiven a little, then I'll only love little. That's why the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. How can I love other people when I don't even love myself? I got to understand God's love for me, that I got to, I, I work out this thing called salvation. I learn and grow in it. And Jesus challenged Simon that don't think of yourself as having less sins than her. You still can't pay that off. Your pride has imprisoned you. And now you can't love. But this woman could. That's why Jesus said in Luke 7, 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. See, forgiveness is wiping out of an offense from memory. And it can only be affected by the one affronted. It then brings in harmony between the two people that forgiveness was given. And the offense no longer has power over the relationship. That's why it's important to receive forgiveness from God and then give forgiveness, especially in a marriage. Because if there's unforgiveness in the marriage, then it stops all love from going into your marriage. As well as it, when, when we don't forgive, there's no harmony in the relationship. That's what this marriage conference is all about. It, it causes us to pause for a moment to think about where our relationship is at in our marriage and then move forward with all the things that are required to make a successful marriage in the eyes of God, biblically. 
And that's the best way for a marriage to work. It's the way God designed it. But you only love as much as you think you've been forgiven. And here's why. Because of this one word, grateful. Grateful. When you know how much you've been forgiven, you're grateful. Grateful people are forgiving people. If you're, not, if you're ungrateful, then you don't forgive. But when you're grateful, even when you don't want to forgive, you will because you're grateful on how much you've been forgiven. When my children were younger and I would teach them how to share and they said, I don't want to share, that's my toy. I would give them an ultimatum, right? We would say, either share your toy or I'm going to take it away. Either share your toy or you're going to get a spanking. Either share your toy or you're not going to play with anything. Next thing you know, they're sharing everything. Look, daddy, I'm sharing all my toys. I share everything and everybody. I love everybody. Why, why do they do that? Is it because they want to share? No, it's because they're grateful they didn't get spanking or their toy taken away from them. It comes out of gratefulness, not because, oh, I want to. It's because they're grateful. And then, and then because you're grateful, you understand how powerful it is to pass that on. So God says, well, if you only love little, then you've only understood that you've been forgiven little. But if you love much, you've been forgiven much. Here's the second thing he wants us to think about. When I forget I've been forgiven, then I forget to forgive. Once we forget we've been forgiven, we forget to forgive. That brings us to the second story, Matthew chapter 18, if you want to turn there. Just go back from the book of Luke. And Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, so Matthew chapter 18. And I'll read starting at verse 21. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus, and Peter is one of Christ's disciples. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins, who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, Peter is using this number because if you forgave someone, that was like pretty cool. That was a good thing. If you forgave them twice, three times, four times, five times, that's like, wow, this guy is a holy guy. This guy is righteous. Look at how loving he is. He's forgiving people. So Peter kind of goes up a notch. He says, so Jesus, uh, how about seven times? What do you think about that, Jesus? <laughs> so Jesus goes, well, I, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 Times seven. Just like Peter's like, how many times? Seven, seven. Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. Oh. <laughs> like how, do, how do you respond to that? What Jesus was saying is there is no limit when it comes to forgiveness. It's unlimited because that's the kind of forgiveness that God gave to you. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle, settle accounts with his servants. So Jesus is giving a parable now. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. and He said, be patient with me. He begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But then that servant went out and when he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. So like, I've been forgiven a million, but this guy owes me a hundred dollars. I'm going to find him. So he owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I will pay it back. Same thing that he did with his master. But he refused Instead, he walked off 
He went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Then Jesus says this, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, it almost sounds like, wow, that's kind of mean, God. That's how you're going to treat us? What God is saying and what Jesus was referring to is forgiveness when offered to you and I by God, is so much more than we would ever offer forgiveness to someone else. It's like the bank account of forgiveness that God gave to us is a hundred bags of gold that we've done against him. That's our debt. But he forgave us that. Then he says, the, the, the things people do against you, although hurtful and, and, and difficult to deal with, is like a piece of silver compared to the forgiveness that I gave to you. So don't forgive people because you think, well, if I, if I don't forgive them, then something bad is going to happen. No, you forgive them out of my bank account, not yours. And once you receive my forgiveness in your heart, now you can forgive out of your heart because now you have a wealth of supply to forgive people. But the moment you forget you've been forgiven, that's the moment you forget to forgive. And we've been forgiven much. See, human repentance, turning to God and turning from sin and divine mercy are all associated with forgiveness. That's how powerful forgiveness is. See, I repent because I've been forgiven. I'm not forgiven because I've repented. Forgiveness comes first. We've been forgiven. Therefore, I repent from my sins. I turn away from my sins and I head towards God. God already forgave us, and he freely gives that out. Matthew 18, 32, that's why he says, Then his master, after he had called him in, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? The same pity that God gave to you and I is the same pity we should give to someone else. But if we've forgotten how much God has forgiven us and how much he loves us, then we will forget to forgive others. And he says, don't ever forget how much I forgave you. And here's the last thing he wants us to think through, that forgiveness empowers change. That's what forgiveness does. It empowers change. It doesn't necessarily change us in the, in the way of a behavior. It can if we choose so, but it empowers change. Because forgiveness, especially in the Old Testament, was something that needed to be paid for. Or sin needed to be paid for. That's the only way forgiveness could come in. There needed to be a payment. That's why animals were slaughtered. That's why animals were sacrificed because sin. So when the animal was sacrificed, that that covered our sin. But God's forgiveness was freely available. And in the Old Testament, if you're reading with us in our devotions, we're in the book of Exodus also, 
that Moses continuously had to go before God and intercede for the people and say, Father, I know they are a rebellious people, a stiff-necked people, but please pardon their sin. And God would also say to Moses, you know, I'm, I, in my anger, these people are stiff-necked people. In my anger, this is what I want to do. And, and Moses continued to intercede and say, no, 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 God, please forgive, forgive. Because Moses knew that there was power that came with forgiveness. Here's the last, the last story in John chapter 8. So flip over from Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John in, in the New Testament. John chapter 8. And this is where Jesus is confronted in such a way that it looked like he was backed into a corner. John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Verse 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So they're using the Ten Commandments against Jesus. And they're trying to trap him because they know that God is a just God, but he's also a merciful God. So how do you get the two in one? How, do you, how, how can you be a just God and punish the sin, but at the same time be merciful and forgive? Jesus bent down and started to write in the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then Jesus sat down once again and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she replied. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Powerful. Jesus illustrates how you can be merciful, but at the same time just. And he tells the Pharisees and those who are standing there, those who were trying to bring this accusation against their woman, yes, you're right. You are right. But if you're going to do this to her with her sins, what about yours? And what Jesus was bringing back to the people was forgiveness. But he didn't just stop there and say, you've been forgiven, you've been forgiven, okay, everything's fine and dandy. He says, no, no, no. Go leave your life of sin. Leave it. In other words, he's saying, you're good up until now. You're okay. You've been forgiven. But don't continue in what you've been doing lest something worse happens. He even said that to another man who's, who he said, your sins are forgiven. He says, now go and sin no more lest something worse happen to you. In other words, for many of us, we're saying, I'm okay. I can ask God for forgiveness, and then I do whatever I'm going to do. But I ask God for forgiveness. Yes, he will forgive, but we still reap the consequences. That's why Jesus says, go and sin no more lest something worse happen to you. And so now this woman is set free. God gives us that choice, that opportunity to be set free from the sins that used to entangle us. 
See, forgiveness doesn't change us for the better. We must choose that. That's why he tells her in John 8, 11, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You know, when it comes to any relationship, forgiveness has the power to bring in change. But we have to choose that. When Jesus died on the cross, there were two others around him. It says in Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 34, that there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they, came, when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, and let's read this part together. Ready? Go. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You know what Jesus was saying? He was saying, they have no idea the power of forgiveness. They don't know what they're doing. And it's not just to the degree of we don't know what we're doing as ignorance, as we don't know that we're sinning. It also included that they don't know the power of forgiveness. They don't know what they're doing. Because we serve a just God but a merciful God. How do you have the two-in-one? How can God forgive us of our sins as being a just God? Because if he's a just God, then he has to be the greatest just being. Because if there's someone greater than God that is just, then he would be God. See, justice requires punishment. But at the same time, mercy requires forgiveness. God is just and merciful with us. It's his nature. It's, that's who he is. Well, how does he do this? Can God just forgive sins or does he demand that every sin be paid for? When you have an infinite, holy, and just God, and when there's a crime of sin against this holy, infinite, and just God, it cannot be overlooked. Unless you have a low image of God or a low image of sin, and you're saying, oh, that sin isn't that bad, so God doesn't really care. Unless you have that, then I can see, but the greatest being is God. There is nothing greater than he. If there were, then that would be God. That is why every single sin has to be punished. Why? Because someone who is just punishes every single sin, every crime. Imagine a judge who punishes some crimes and not others. He wouldn't be the most just judge. He might be merciful. He might be nice. He might be kind. But he is not the most just judge. I could imagine someone more just than him who punishes every crime. That would be a just judge. At the same time, I can imagine someone who is merciful. Someone who forgives someone of all their sins, of everything they have ever done, every crime from small to large, everything. That's, that is a merciful judge. And if I can envision a judge who forgives some things, then, then that wouldn't be a, a merciful judge. He wouldn't be God. God has to be the one who is absolutely merciful. Well, how can you be absolutely just and absolutely merciful at the same time? Well, we have to also remember that God is absolutely loving, that that's who he is. 
And if love is a good thing, then God has to be the most loving being that there is. And if self-sacrifice is a good thing, then God has to be the most self-sacrificial. And if humility is a good thing, then God has to be the most humble being in the entire universe. Well, God himself forgives us of all of our sins, not by overlooking them, because he wouldn't be just. God forgives us of all of our sins by paying for it himself. He died when we were supposed to. He paid the price for all the sins of the world that were supposed to be paid for by us. But even that would not have been able to pay for the amount of sin that we have ever committed. How can a sinful, unperfect person pay for sin? The only way that could have been done is if you have a perfect person who paid the price for imperfect people so that we could serve a perfect and holy and just and merciful and loving God. That is the only way. It is through Christ that you and I can stand righteous before God. That's how he forgives us. We don't earn his forgiveness. It is who he is. That is how you know that God has loved you and I from forever past and forever future because of who he is. He has already shown that. And he is just and he is merciful all in himself. He has forgiven you and I. We are forgiven and changed for all of eternity because God made it that way. And I think for many of us, maybe today to understand that we've been forgiven is something that is so far-fetched for our thinking. It requires faith for us to understand that we've been forgiven. And as we pray, as we close in prayer, I, wanna, I want us to understand that God, God will run 999 steps toward you out of 1,000. He just asks you to take that next step of faith, to trust in him. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. For those who have never said yes to Jesus, maybe that's the one step. That one step that you're declaring that Jesus is going to be my Lord and my Savior. I receive his forgiveness. And that might be you today. Maybe as a believer, you're saying, boy, I've forgotten how much I've been forgiven. I've been holding on to bitterness and anger. I choose not to forgive. I blame other people. I put it on other Christians. I, boy, Lord, I have, I have drifted so far from how much I've been forgiven. And maybe for all of us today as we pray this prayer together, it's a prayer of salvation, but it's also a prayer of remembrance in what God has done for us. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I, I want to I give Jesus my heart. As I say this prayer and as we all repeat this prayer, let, may we be reminded that this power of forgiveness comes from God so that we can, in turn, do the same for others. Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for Jesus, for dying on the cross and paying for my sins. I believe in you. Forgive me. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave so that I might have eternal life. 
And so I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray.